the Karate in the Garage. I'm Corey Cope. I'm Freddie Waff. We don't have a theme this month, I don't think. We're just kind of winging it. I think, yeah, man. Right? Totally. We're just we're going to do our thing. Yeah, I hope you guys dug last month with Dark Castle. Kind of, uh, I think we might end up revisiting Dark Castle and be less hey, Dark Castle movies and we're like cover movies that aren't horror movies, maybe. I don't know. Something, you know, well, well we, we can definitely, there's a few we should cherry pick anyway. Mm, yeah. But as you already read, we have one that's from our teenage years and man. It's I, from 1985, dude. <laughs> if Again, if you haven't seen this movie yet, oh my gosh, you're in for a treat because those of you who just got introduced to mystery movies with Knives Out or recently with Werewolves Within, this is the one that kind of was mainstream for most Americans anyway. Well, dude, and most people fucking, let's be honest, this, even now, this is a board game turned into a movie. Right. Everybody knows Clue as a board game. Yeah. It, you probably, even if you're 15 years old right now, you probably <laughs> played some version of Clue, yeah. whether it's the Simpsons version of Clue or Peter Griffin's version of Clue or whatever it is. Yeah. But there is a movie based on the game Clue, and this is that movie. We have Clue. And, dude, this movie, it's so funny watching the credits. We talked a little bit pre-mic about this, about all the people involved, and not just the people on the screen. It's the ones that went, what are the ones that are behind the scenes? You know, this movie, story-wise, was was put together by, this one kind of blew my mind because I don't remember this, but Jonathan Lynn, who who wrote the screenplay and directed the movie, he came up with the story idea with John Landis, almost to make me think that maybe they were supposed to be making this a... Uh, it seems like this would probably, I mean, this seems like the perfect thing that Landis would have directed. And it's funny because there's also the connection between Line and, and Landis because Line is in, uh, Landis is Into the Night from 1985. He plays the tailor, I think. In into the night, right? Yeah. Uh, but uh, yeah, I mean, so it, you know, it it seems an awful lot like kind of the tone of it. And everything. It seems an awful lot like a John Landis movie mm-hmm. that John Landis didn't make, but he did produce it. Who the, the lead producer on this was one again just blew my mind because I didn't remember it at all. Is Miss Deborah Hill? Now, dude, I mean, I don't if, off the top of your head other than Clue. <laughs> Name a Deborah Hill movie that wasn't a John Carpenter movie. Right? I mean, <laughs> yeah. I mean, unless you're going to cheat and look it up. Um, I would, yeah, I'm always shocked, too, when her name comes up, too. And I've seen this movie probably 50 times. Um, but every time it comes up, I'm like, oh, God, Deborah Hill. Holy shit. Yeah. So funny, man. Like, I don't know if this was her first film away from Carpenter. I mean, I would have to go back and look. And I didn't. But, you know, because I've got other things going on. And, you know, it's <laughs> not like I haven't seen the movie 50 times. And over the last 35 years, probably could have done it at some point. But I just haven't. Lazy that way. But the other thing that is weird about this movie is it was shot by Victor Kemper. Right? <laughs> I mean, and it, it looks amazing. The movie the looks... Set. Oh my gosh, yeah. this fucking set. This very much is a haunted house kind of situation where it basically is all one location. And you occasionally like will peer outside onto the... I mean, you could have shot all that out, exterior stuff like the same side of the road. <laughs> but, but everything is tasty about it. You have... Great deaf direction by by Jonathan. You have, um, again, Victor Kemper's visuals just sell this thing like crazy. And, and it what's so funny is like, even though you don't hear a bunch of British accents, it feels. Yes. It, it feels like a BBC production. 
And well, it's just, it's curry, right? I mean, it's right. that, that kind of pushes you in that direction. Mm-hmm. I mean, the other thing about this movie, I mean, it, it's more than it being a whodunit. It, it's also, it's also your classic sort of French farce, right? Uh, you know, totally. um, madcap. I mean, it's an ensemble piece for sure. Curry is kind of the linchpin, right? He's, he's the guy who sets everything in motion. I don't want to spoil what goes on in the movie, but he does the lion's share of the work in this movie. Curry. I, I don't think, I don't feel like there's one moment where he's not talking in this movie. <laughs> right. There is something about this movie that reminds me of noises off in a lot yeah, of Yeah, I was going to say, dude, I was going to say, maybe we should cover noises off <laughs> this month as well, but uh, it's kind of hard to track down. Everybody in this movie, I said, the, I used the word tasty and I'm going to say that again. Every performance in this is just perfect. Pitch perfect for whoever, whatever character we're talking about. From, I mean, from vets like Eileen Brennan and Madeline Kahn, Madeline Kahn, dude. Christopher Lloyd, when this movie came out, he's six months removed from Back to the Future becoming a massive hit. So they're all shot at the same time. And even though Christopher Lloyd now looks like Doc Brown these days, he looked closer to Jim on Taxi than he does. Right. <laughs> than he does Doc Brown. Again, makeup hair. But he's fucking great. And like you talked about pre-Mike, Leslie Ann Warren. Dude, everybody, like I said, is pitch perfect in their role. Even down to the small roles, Colleen Camp, right? Like yes. this is probably the best thing, Colleen Camp. I mean, literally, I mean, she's funny. She's sexy. Lee Vang, dude, who's, see, it's, you know, at this point in the eighties, right. Lee Vang was like in everything for some reason, like you couldn't uh, like, Oh, Hey, hey Lee Vang again. It's funny too, because he is the one guy, if I had to say somebody seems oddly miscast, but not miscast, but I would just would have never thought like, Hey, Lee Vang, let's throw Lee Vang with these people, but he's great. You know, there's some fun cameos in this movie and all those people are perfect. Yes. Because as much as I want to scream the, the cameos. Yeah, you, don't. Yes. <laughs> don't do it. Now, and if you haven't seen this movie yet, and I, I don't think anybody that hasn't seen this movie yet. Here's the thing. If you saw this movie in the theater, unless you went to three different theaters that had three different, the three different versions, you wouldn't, you, you've only seen the three different versions at home. Uh, if from the second it hit VHS at home, it, it had three endings and What's funny is the movie didn't do particularly well. It barely made its budget back. And this movie is one of those movies that truly found life on home video. But what sucked is if you wanted to see all three distinct endings, you had to rent the VHS because the, the, the HBO version only had the C ending to this. And again, we're not going to say which is which. <laughs> right. But because again, that's the fun about a, a murder mystery. These days, when you think about IP that's been turned into movies, it's easy to go Transformers is probably the biggest franchise that's come from a toy or in this case, a board game. So the idea of Clue becoming from a board game to a, a, a movie wasn't this far-fetched. I'm like, what makes sense? It's a murder mystery. It's a, it's, it's a whodunit. You got to remember too, video games weren't they were still kind of in their infancy as far as like franchisey sort of video games for home. They like, they weren't doing that yet. And, you know, coming out of the 60s, 50s, 60s and 70s, it made perfect sense for them to make a board game. I mean, I think they were supposed to do, Flu was the first. I feel like there was supposed to be a Monopoly movie as well, but I think that the poor box office of Clue uh, kind of dashed that. 
I, well, I think so. It probably was the case. Can you imagine the game of life, the movie? <laughs> <laughs> well, that's another thing too, is like Yahtzee. <laughs> I made the Transformers comparison, you know, and Hasbro is the the parent company to Parker Brothers who put out the the board game. When they got around to making Transformers, it wasn't the first, you know, their, their first dip into the pool of translating their product into a, a feature film version of something. But I think, like you said, the poor box office for Clue gave them reservations. But that unlike Clue, Transformers was already a transmedia thing before transmedia was a phrase. It went from being a toy to a cartoon and then a feature film of the cartoon. It's like it, it always had life and, and it going live action was always something they were going to do. Fast forward to the success of Transformers and they make Battleship, which is actually really a fun movie. This is where it started. I don't think Clue finding a life or an afterlife, if you will, on home video, if that doesn't happen, I don't think Transformers ever becomes a, as big of a hit as it is because I don't think everybody says, hey, let's go ahead and put $100 million into a movie and let's make it, <laughs> let's make it live action Transformers. Right. But the funny thing is when you look at the two movies, Clue being what it is, it makes sense because it's just a whodunit. I mean, if you, if you want to look at the the love for whodunits, look at Agatha Christie, man. She's just around this time too. I mean, how far removed from like murder by death? It's probably been like five or six years, right? It probably was like 79? Oh, uh, I think like 77 or 78. It's been almost like 10 years since they, they were, because they were knocking out similar movies like this in the 70s. We did, and there was a point too. They were talking about making a Stretch Armstrong movie. They were talking about making a Sorry. <laughs> what the fuck? Those don't make any sense to me. Stretch Armstrong, maybe because I mean, look, it's just it's just Plastic Man, right? But Clue made sense. There's actually something to it. There's a story that you follow. And the thing about Clue as a board game, it had so many different ways it could go. Because there was three parts to every ending. Right. That's why, I think that's why they were very specific about three parts to the movie ending too. They were kind of being a little homage to the game itself. Three cards stuck in that confidential envelope of all the information. I love, by the way, there's a one point and I'm not ruining anything by saying this. When they distribute the gifts and the boxes and everybody opens up the, each of the boxes and you see all of the weapons that are part of the board game. I thought that was such a clever way to introduce all that stuff. And, you know, when usually when you see some kind of adaptation from another property, they shoehorn stuff in there, even though it doesn't work, they'll just shove something in there so people can go, oh, look at that. Well, this movie revolves around somebody being murdered. <laughs> so you have to have those elements because that's what it is. The movie as a whole, it's not just one of the best adaptations of any non-literary source it just works. It works in so many ways. I mean, I could have seen this being like a limited series where every episode was its unique thing. Hell, dude, look at fucking Murder, She Wrote. I got to think that's the reason why they even thought, let's just go for this, right? Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, I feel like this movie kind of had a kind of a long gestation. Yeah. And I think that it was probably due to some of the success of Murder, She Wrote. And also things like Columbo, man, because Columbo was a long running. And, and Columbo kind of has a sense of this kind of humor mixed in with its weekly detective story. Right. And, and I kind of feel like, you know, those kind of shows pushed this thing into being right at that time. Yeah. 
what's funny is like, again, we talked about Christopher Lloyd being in the movie, you know, like at that point, what was it? May it was like, it was like May of 85, right? When, when back to the future came out, you think just him being in the movie alone would have pulled a ton of people in to see this movie. Right. And it, unfortunately it didn't, it, I don't know this, and this feels, this isn't like a summer movie. This feels like that fall winter holiday kind of movie. And it was, it came out in the, in the middle of December of 85. So it made sense when it was coming out. It's one of those head scratchers, like what happened? But if you listen to the show at all of the last two years that we've been doing it, there's one thing we can say about our 85 had a lot going on. 85 had a lot of movies to see. And it gets at that point, home video had become so big that people were just pushing movies out. No different than the, the similar boom that we saw in with DVD when DVD became such a mainstream thing. Everybody was putting movies out knowing, hey, yeah, yeah, we don't have the funds to put it out in the movie theater, but guess what? We could put it out on DVD and get it in all these video stores, which is what happened. That was a big, it was none unlike the VHS boom of the mid eighties. But this movie really, again, again, it found its life on home video and cable. But if you haven't seen it, you're really missing out. And if you love Knives Out, if you love Werewolves Within, if you've loved, you know, I've mentioned Murder by Death before, which again is a great pairing for Clue because it does definitely lean on the comedic side like Clue does. You're missing out on some wonderful scenery chewing performances from, like we mentioned, Tim Curry, Eileen Brennan, uh, Madeline Kahn, but also Martin Mull, who's yeah, just dude. fuck. And for you and I, and get anybody in our age bracket, when we used to stay up and watch Fernwood Tonight right, with him and Fred Willard, come on, dude. All of these actors, we knew them from, you know, some of the movies that came before, you know, we were paying attention to movies, but then some of them were coming to their own. I mean, how, I mean, Tim Curry, come on, man. Tim right. Curry. Well, he yeah. blew up right around this time, right? Exactly. Like- exactly. Whether you like Legend or not, there's nobody that when you t- when when people talk about that movie, they talk about Tim Curry right. um, because that's you know and Tom Cruise and Mia Sarah are in the movie. Uh, but dude, everybody I know when they talk about Legend, the first thing and really the only thing they ever talk about is yep. Tim Curry. Yep. And you know you got Tim Curry and Clue. Uh, you know he was hitting his stride, man, and he was for me. I already, I already knew him as Frank Furter, right? from Rocky Horror. But, you know, this, that guy from Rocky Horror suddenly shows him a clue and I'm like, holy shit, I barely recognize him. But Tim Curry is a, a, is a vastly underused commodity. I mean, I know he's not working as much now, but I mean, there was a time if Tim Curry was in a movie, I would see it like pass the ammo. I mean, come on, dude. <laughs> is there, is there a rather reason to see pass the ammo other than Tim Curry? No, we were raving about Tim and this can be a problem too, because <laughs> when we covered scary movie too, which is very much like this. And as far as an ensemble cast, we kept leaning on Tim Curry quite a bit. Him, <laughs> Him and Chris Elliott, we kept going, we just kept, because they are the standouts. And even though this is an ensemble, come on, man, let's be honest here. Tim Curry owns the movie. He really is the standout. And like you noted in Legend, even people that don't like it, because I'm not a particularly big fan of it. It's one of those things where like, yeah, I'm not a fan of Legend in spite of Tim Curry's performance. He is the reason it makes me go, maybe I need to revisit that again. Oh, 100%, man. Yeah. Everything he's ever been in, is just he delivers a hundred percent. Home Alone too. That's one thing about about that type of performer. He gives it one hundred percent, no matter how small the role is and how 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 big the movie is. He doesn't care. 
he has that work ethic, like, yeah, I'm having a good time. Let's do this. Um, right. He always, he, 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 he's always there and you always get a quality performance from him. He's never just there. Like, Hey, I'm Tim Curry. I mean, you're always getting something from him. Dude, scary movie too. Right. I mean, come on, dude, the nipple thing. Come on. Yeah. Who sells that? Who sells that besides Tim Curry? <laughs> exactly. Jim Carrey. Now we mentioned legend with Tim Curry's character, the Lord of darkness character in legend. He is so good in that part that what do they do with Fern Gully? They use his voice again, playing the smoke monster. Yeah, for sure. And of course, we know the the miniseries, It. But he has such an amazing time in this playing Wadsworth. What a, what a joy. Anything he's in, you should be watching. But, but that's the thing is, if we sat there and did, if we'd spent a whole month talking about Clue, and said, all right, we're going to talk about Eileen Brennan for this month. And we're going to talk about Madeline Kahn. Right. And the thing is, at this point in the world, in 2021, all of these names are household names. We're not saying any names you haven't heard of before. I'm not, we're not saying, hey, go watch these other movies because you've seen them. Yeah. But in 85, you, you weren't, Christopher Lloyd, if you want to see Christopher Lloyd other than Back to the Future, you're watching them on Taxi. Or Star Trek Three: The Search for Spock. Right. <laughs> or, uh, you know, Martin Mullen. Mr. Mom. That is it. That, and that's all you were seeing, these guys. But Eileen Brennan was, had been in television. I mean, had been in feature films forever. And at that point, I think. Madeline Kahn had been in a ton of stuff. Like, dude, yeah. almost every Mel Brooks film. Yeah. Uh, you know, she was just that person. I mean, at the time I saw Clue, I was most familiar with her exactly. from uh, History of the World Part One. Mm-hmm. The whole eunuch thing. Yes. Yes, yes, yes. yes you know, yes. picking. Yeah, yes, <laughs> yes. Yeah, I mean, that's, you know, uh, God bless her and God rest her soul. Yeah. But everybody in this movie across the board is, and the comic timing and the direction and, and just the pace of this movie. I mean, it's, dude, it's 96 minutes. Yeah. Uh, it feels less than an hour. I mean, it's breezy. It never drags. And you're not left wondering, like, what do they do? Because a lot of it doesn't matter. I mean, and it's very easy to follow, but it is very fast and it's quippy and everyone is quick witted and it's rapid fire dialogue. And, and the way that they play off of each other, I, I you know, I, I, I imagine they rehearsed this like a play. Right. Well, in the field, that's another thing too, is they, they had to have, and that's the reason why I think why noises off is an easy like comparison to make very, you're talking about, you're talking about the pacing of it. It's all dictated by the performances because they stay wide so much in it and they treat the whole thing very much like a, like a theatrical production. Maybe not unlike rope, you know, it's all, it all feels very one takey. I'm like, yeah, you're getting your edits there here and there, but for the most part, it feels like you're watching a play. And again, it's all performance driven. If you haven't figured that out by now, and that's why the movie excels. Cause if you think about the premise is like we said, even though it makes sense for them to make a movie out of it, but you think they would have added layers onto it, but no, they kept it as trim as they needed to. And in fact, the only time the staple on how you end the board game, you know, the provocation that you make at the end of the board game doesn't show up until one, uh, only one of the three endings. <laughs> And then it's kind of like said, they go for it and they have so much, it just, again, it's all about the performances in this. And, and you care a lot less about, about the storyline as it is. Everybody clearly is having a fucking great time. 
Do everybody, I mean, you know, if you're, especially if you're familiar with the board game, everybody is exactly as you picture them on those cards from when you're a kid. And everybody, did right down to the costumes, I mean, everybody's costumes are perfect. I mean, do it. Mrs. Peacock is a thing of beauty. Like the goofy, the glasses, she literally looks like a peacock. It's, it's, you know, Professor Plum, Colonel Mustard. I mean, everything about this movie, to me, it's like pitch perfect. The like design, uh, this is like a perfect storm of production design, the costume design, the lighting design. It all really just kind of comes together. And uh, I'm shocked that this movie doesn't make the rounds at, once or twice at revival theaters. I mean, right. and I'm shocked that there's not, maybe there are, maybe I'm just not aware, maybe, but I'm shocked that there's not like big clue conventions, right? Where people right. show up, you know, cosplaying the characters from clue. I mean, I was in love with Leslie Ann Warren, dude, after I saw this movie. I mean, Miss Scarlet, you know, just the nature of that, what Miss Scarlet, who Miss Scarlet is, but dude, she is so damn sexy and, and her, her delivery and just that droll sense of humor of her. I told you off air, my favorite performance in the movie is Leslie Ann Warren, but it's hard to say, it's hard to pick because everybody is, it nails it. So, you know, for me to say, and I, you know, and I've seen far more work from everybody else in this movie, but she's the standout for me in this movie, her and Curry, obviously, just because he's, like I said, carries the the, the lion's share of, of the movie is on him. I mentioned it earlier and then you mentioned us for a while ago. Um, the cards and, and, and at the end credits, dude, I thought that was just, we, we always rave about how cool it is to see cool end credits or opening credits. 85, man, you weren't seeing cool closing credits very much. That, that kind of wasn't coming no. into the norm until the mid aughts. You're starting to see it a lot more or more prevalently anyway. I love the way that you flip flopped the cards for all the characters with yeah. the performers in this. It was just so clever and it, that's one thing about it, the movie. It never loses sight of where it originates from. No, not at all. Once you kind of, you, the whole time you're thinking, you're, well, once you introduce all the characters, by the way, and once you've heard all the character names from the board game and then you're like, oh, okay, cool. It takes, it doesn't take you very long to forget that you're watching a movie based on a board game. You, you stop thinking about it because of those performances. And you know, another thing that helps too, again, because it doesn't, when, once you start seeing anything live action, what's cool about it, and again, I don't think this was, you know, I think this might, must have been discussed because we mentioned it feeling like a play and feeling more, they stay wide the whole time. Well, no different than when you're sitting playing at a board game, sitting around the, you know, the dining room table playing together. Right. You know, you're all, you're looking at all the participants all at the same time. I thought that was really clever what they did there. Yes. hundred percent. But another thing that really sells the movie, again, we always talk about score, but John Morris did this, the score for this. A short while ago, we mentioned Madeline Kahn and all the Mel Brooks movies she's done. This dude, man, he did Silent Movie. He did High Anxiety. He did, well, just to get into more bigger movies that we've talked about on this show, Johnny Dangerously. Right. Dirty Dancing, Spaceballs. I mean, this Haunted Honeymoon, this guy has a, a great range. But this is one that I was talking about back when we, you and I were talking about back when we did Young Sherlock Holmes before. Pre-Mike, I don't think we talked about it on the show, but the Adventures of Sherlock Holmes' smarter brother. He did that after he did Blazing Saddles, after right. he did Young Frankenstein. This dude kills, and what he does in this made me think of Young Frankenstein through and through. What I was going to say about his score, there, there, there is an underlying level of fun, yes, to the score. 
it's what it should be, but then it, it's just got these little, he, he, there's just something that he injects that the fun really comes through in his scores, especially in Clue and in uh, Young Frankenstein. There's this, this, like the, the sort of whimsical sense of humor and it all sort of just comes through on another level. I was shocked we didn't, that we didn't talk about this right off the gate. And I think it's just because there's so much to talk about this movie. <laughs> really that, how great the score is. Because yeah. the score is one of the things that keeps this movie moving. Yeah. And, and is it all just fun movies that he's done? He got an Oscar nomination for the score in The Elephant Man. It's a very dramatized type of score. So it's always the juxtaposition of what you're seeing on screen, like Silent Movie and Blazing Saddles and <laughs> Young Frankenstein. Right. It, it works perfectly. There's a Young Frankenstein cue in this. It's right when Christopher Lloyd pulls up in front of the house and now the lightning hits and lights up the whole house. Oh man, that felt like, I feel like young, that's like a little young Frankenstein nod, isn't it? And then I, then I kind of was paying attention. I'm like, I didn't remember John Morris doing the score. I thought somebody was just riffing. Yeah. And, and, and but no, man, if I guess if you need the guy, you want to you get the guy, right? The score is brilliant. We talked about quite a bit and the set is just, it's perfect. I, I feel like looking at IMDB and not looking, not looking for production designer. I want to see who the, you know, you want to look for something a little more specific to theater because it just, that's what it feels like. I'm not surprised the end up using a BBC producer. I mean, a BBC director. It just feels like, I mean, the reference to rope, it just feels like one location. This is a stage play. At the time we talked about the, the mixed bag of you know, not everybody knew who everybody was at the time you were, you'd recognize people in the movie. Dude, Michael McKean was still uh, Lenny to me like, yes. at this point. Like, yeah. oh, Hey, it's Lenny. But dude, he is the best line in the movie. I'm going home to sleep with my wife. Yes. When he spills his guts about what he's being blackmailed for, the look between Curry and Leslie Ann Warren yes. is fucking priceless. Dude. Yes, it is. It's so good. And I mentioned Kelly Nakahara earlier, who y'all know from MASH. Wasn't she the only carryover from the movie? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, well, her and Radar. Radar, that's right. I meant to say that. Yeah, yeah. Bill Henderson. <laughs> When Bill Henderson shows up in this playing a cop, he's identified as the cop in this. And there, there's several points in the movie where they're talking about, oh, the cops are on the way. They're, they're working on a timetable of the cops are going to show up. We got to deal with this because the cops are coming. Bill Henderson, to me, was like, I mean, we were seeing Bill Henderson in everything, right? Oh, yeah. At that point, you know, with Buckaroo Bonds, either year before, right? But he was one of those character actors that you eventually have to just look up because you're like, you don't know his name. That's eventually what happened to me. I'm like, that guy, I see that guy in everything. Hill Street Blues. Dude, he's in City Slickers. Yeah. I mean, he, later on, he was in Family Life. I think he was on a couple episodes of ER. Uh, but yeah, dude, he, I mean, if you look him up, his career, you're like, holy shit. I remember the short-lived Time Cop TV series. Yeah. I think he was in a couple episodes of Time Cop. Uh, I know he was in Hoodlum, oh, yeah. the Lawrence Fishburne movie. Mm -hmm. Dude, he was a guy. It's kind of like he's in almost everything we saw childhood wise, you know, from like 80 to 89. Like he's in, I swear to God, dude, I feel like he's in every fucking movie that I watched. You know, Wisdom. He's in, you know, he's in Charles Bronson movies. Uh, I mean, he just, he was in Fletch, right? I mean, he's in Fletch the same yep. year as Clue, I think. I don't want to blow the rest of the cameos because... 
as fucking awesome as it is to see him when you're revisiting this, the other cameos are even yes. better and I don't want to ruin it all. No, no, no. The And the best one, as much as the one that we don't want to say specifically is great. The big one at the very end is just. Yeah. It, again, if we, when you look at the time frame, it makes total sense. Yes. <laughs> and as many times as I've seen the movie, when, he, when it happens, I'm like, Oh, that's right. <laughs> oh, yeah. There he is. Yeah. You know, we know what else is great about the. I mean, I'll say this. The, when I was a kid, when I was 15, right? The first time I saw the fucking poster for Clue, that poster is so the game encapsulated in a movie poster. Oh, yeah. The, was it in the, with the, I mean, if you, it, it, look, man, literally, and I guess I didn't know anybody who was my age who had not played Clue at some point. Oh, Yeah. Right. And then just the the whole layout of the post. I mean, it's one of my favorite posters from when I was a kid is this poster for the for Clue, the original. Right. The one with, with the little lines and, you know, that points out the character Peacock in the, you know, the, was it? You get this, the characters in the, and it gives you the rooms with the, I mean, yeah. dude, that's your cards. And it's, it's such a nostalgic thing. Even, even at 15, because I played the majority of my clue playing like in the mid seventies is like, yes, like, you know, yeah. seven to 10 year old. Yeah. Board games always big for us, especially if it was a rainy day and yeah. in school, we talked about the the rainy day aspect of certain movies that we've covered in the past, a lot of them from 85 or earlier. Right. And, and of all the board games, look at, I mentioned Sorry earlier or Trouble, right? All those games, you could essentially play that those games by yourself where unlike Battleship or Clue, you had to play with other people. There was no getting around it because- if you played trouble you or sorry, you know what? Your, your moves are predicated by the die or with the game of life, your moves are predicated by the wheel. The wheel. With this, dude, you couldn't, <laughs> like Battleship, you, there's information that you just don't have because the other players have them. And that's why this game was such a big thing for our child and why it's still such a... Well, it is, dude, it's such a big thing for people of our age. I mean, they're remaking the fucking thing with Ryan Reynolds and uh, Jason Bateman. I I think they're the only two people who are attached to it now, but I mean, it's coming back around. Yeah. And why shouldn't it? It's like, but you think it would have taken them almost time than 38 years to get around to it, right? Well, yeah. I mean, I, I feel like I feel like it's it's one of those movies that they've been talking about remaking since like you know since 1986. The funny thing was, what took it so long to get this movie, original movie made was probably the bigger reason why now is because no money's being made these days. The irony is the the window that made this movie become a cult classic was VHS. Unfortunately, the home video window is no longer viable it, it's no longer the money maker that it used to be for the studio so I, I can see why they want to take a little bit more time and of course everything's changed now because of streaming and all that kind of stuff ironically is how difficult it was to find this world i dude i'm so by the way best app ever just watch i'm glad they're getting around to making this movie again but they have to be careful like you just mentioned ryan reynolds jason bateman good start right for the cast but it's, as we just said, throughout those these 40 minutes, the whole premise is predicated on the performances and the interaction with the performances. They, you can't skirt it. And I think maybe that's what's taking them so long to get together because it's so hard because everybody has to come to play. 
It's all know, about chemistry. Like yeah. if you, you, it's really, it comes down to chemistry and th- if they don't cast it right, yeah. then they're going to fuck it up. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, Ryan Reynolds can, Ryan Reynolds can <laughs> Ryan Reynolds all he wants, but if nobody else is playing up to that level, who gives a fuck right. is what I w- I'll say. They're going to have to do that or otherwise they're going to have a real live noises off. <laughs> the worst thing it could be, it could, it would turn into Deadpool in a mansion. We talked about shortly at the beginning where before we started recording, who are your stand-up performances? And both of us, I said pick two, and then both of us said three or four names. <laughs> well, also, I think it's interesting that we both picked out the ladies. Right. I mean, outside of Tim Curry, the performances. And I think that is part of the, I mean, you have to cast the women correctly. Yeah. Obviously, Reynolds is the perfect choice to play Wadsworth. Right. I'm trying to figure out who Bateman's going to be. I would imagine maybe he's going to be Colonel Mustard, I guess. Or maybe he's Mr. Green. I was thinking Green also. Yeah. As soon as you said, I'm thinking green. So, yeah, but you know, I'm hopeful. I mean, dude, I would, those two guys, I love them. I think they're fucking hilarious. So I, I hope that, you know, this all comes around and we do get another clue movie. Yeah. We, we know that Bateman and Reynolds can play to ensembles. Look at Arrested Development, you know, look, oh, look at most of the movies. Look at game night. Yeah. Look at most of the movies that Jason Bateman has had success in. Horrible Bosses is still an ensemble movie. Yeah. Ryan Reynolds, if you were curious if he can pull it off, Deadpool 2 is an ensemble movie. It may say yep. Deadpool 2 on there, but there's like, he has five people there in the movie almost on the screen with him constantly. That's, yeah. And those guys come to play every time. So yeah, that's, that's I guess it's a great start. The script on the casting, it's going to be the downfall of the movie. Right. But this one, yes, revisit it. It's on Paramount Plus right now. If not, it's going to be somewhere else. We both ran into the problem and we went to go watch it on, on Prime because it's been there since the dawn of time. Yeah, I like I said, I watched, <laughs> I watched it three months ago on fucking Prime. And then the, the last night I flipped it over there and I'm like, and I saw it and I was like, and I clicked it and it said, it's available through your Paramount Plus. And I was like, all right, Paramount Plus it is. Yeah, see, the good thing is you have you have your subscription going through your Prime so, me, so you saw it right away. There are apps out there that you can check out that'll tell you where everything's at. But right now it's on Paramount Plus. I don't see it going anywhere since they're, it's their property and like, and, yeah. and everybody's property these days is the backbone of their streaming service and the success of their streaming service. So I'm not surprised. Right. So there you go. This might just be a big smorgasbord. I, I think we have one other movie that we picked for this month, but it's not really, I, I think there's sort of a theme, but we probably won't know there's a theme until the end of July. <laughs> sure. Or end of August, I should say. Something like that. Something yeah. Like that. And end of next July. Yeah. August. <laughs> Well, if you want to follow the show on Twitter, you can follow at Karate Pod or on Instagram at the same, at Karate Pod. If you want to follow us on Letterboxd, you can follow Corey at Corey underscore Culp. Or if you want to support the show on Patreon, thank you, Patreon supporters. That's patreon.com slash KITG podcast. If you'd like to follow me, you can follow me over at Letterboxd at Wadsworth at Letterboxd. That's Wadsworth at Letterboxd.com. Wadsworth. Yeah, one of the things though, and I, gosh, I really, and we always talk about how important music is. By the way, I, I, let me lean on this real quick. What is that? A dog barking? Not near me. I thought it was. I thought it was near you. Oh shit! Maybe it's Oswald. Hold on. One sec. Oh shit! It is Oswald.
What's the matter? Come here. Come here, Ozzy. Wearing headphones, it's kind of hard to tell. <laughs> I'm like, what the fuck's that dog barking? Uh, yeah, I heard him back there and I was like, dude, what's going on? I was about to say, what's going on with Oswald? What's wrong? What's wrong? Yeah. He doesn't really, I didn't like to come lay down in the studio, so I'm surprised. Oh, hey, buddy. What's wrong, honey? Huh? You can lay down right there. I know. I know. It's okay, sweetie. You guys go, you go lay down. 